in your bulletin this morning for you to enjoy as we read God's Word together this morning. There will be some other passages that will probably be referenced throughout the message, but this will be uh, our, our foundation, our home base for this morning. Hear God's Word. That's, that's a sound of preciousness to me. That's not a bother to me. Most people whine after they hear all of the sermon. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us ears to hear let us hear. You've given us eyes to see. Let us see. You have given us a mind to comprehend. Help us to understand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the crisis. 70% of girls in high school avoid normal activities like going to school because they cannot stand the way they look. Did you hear that? 70% of high school girls will avoid normal activities like going to school simply because they cannot stand the way they look. 75% of girls that struggle with low self-esteem will indulge in negative activities like cutting, bullying, smoking, drinking, or will develop some sort of eating disorder. 75% of High school girls that battle with low self-esteem will indulge or engage in those kind of negative behaviors. Unless you think it's just a high school girl problem, 
Here are the statistics on middle school and high school boys. 40% of middle school and high school boys exercise with the goal of increasing muscle mass. By the end of high school, nearly 10% of males will have experimented with steroids. Shocking. Unless you think it's just a high school problem, recently NBC did a study about adults in the workforce. And here's what NBC discovered. 85% of adults suffer from low self-esteem. 85% of adults suffer from low self-esteem. And in their study, they discovered that their low self-esteem actually hinders them from making progress and advancements in their workplace. Because their superiors view their low self-esteem as either apathy or incompetence. So this is a real problem. That every single family experiences. There is an identity crisis in the United States of America today. And we're asking the question, who are we? And most of us, when we look in the mirror, we don't like who we are. There's a little bit of an identity crisis in America because of COVID now, right? We're trying to divide ourselves up by mask wearers and non-mask wearers. And I've only learned recently that each side is taking note and taking notes about who's wearing masks and who's not wearing masks. There's an identity crisis among us. Who are we? I was shocked by a quote that I read this week by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you know Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a staunch Presbyterian. He, when he preached, he looked like he was sucking on a sour lemon. He preached angry. I like that. That's the way I'm going to get. The older I get, the more salty and angry I'm going to get. But this is what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Hear his words. It was shocking that he said this. In his, his study called Great Doctrines of the Bible, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The real trouble in the world today is that man does not know who he is and what he is. He does not realize his own greatness. I was shocked to hear Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones say that. Do you know why? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of those men that when he preached the word, he preached about sin and hell was real and how Jesus is the only answer. And so it was shocking knowing that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones knows that we are totally depraved, that we're rebels against God, that he would say that one of the greatest needs in the world at his time, and I think even more so in our time, is to understand a true doctrine of creation. Specifically, that we are created in the image of God. We need to know who we are and what we are.
that we need to realize our own greatness. What distinguishes us from the rest of God's creation? So that's what we're going to explore together this morning. It's the significance of the fact that you are created in the image of God. Reminds me of a true story, though. Uh, Jennifer has an uncle by the name of Terry, and Terry uh, has been very successful in his in his line of work. He's a dermopathologist. Many of us many of us know dermatologists. Many of us know pathologists. He's one of the very guys that's also a dermopathologist. He he he's been all around the world and given all kinds of lectures. And uh, years ago, he was on staff at Johns Hopkins. Um, there in Baltimore, and he, he had a condo that was a beautiful condo that was right downtown Baltimore, Maryland, and he overlooked out of his dining out of his living room, it overlooked one of his windows overlooked the Baltimore Ravens football stadium. So a very successful man, um, and he, you know, being a successful guy, he's got to do something with his money, right? So he started investing in art. And so I, I know very little about art. I mean, if you come in my office, I think a Darth Vader and Kylo Ren picture is like the chief form of art. So I don't really know much about art. Uh, I only took art appreciation one day in college. It didn't make sense to me, so I dropped that class, went to theater appreciation. Shakespeare made a little bit more sense to me. And so Terry had a little bit of a game that he played with me one day. Maybe I've shared this story with you before. If not, you'll hear it again. It's worth hearing again. And so Terry played a game with me, the, the dumb guy from West Virginia. He had me walk around his condo and pick out my favorite piece of art, which I did. And then secondly, he said, now I want you to walk around my condo and I want you to pick out what you think is the most expensive piece of art that I own. And so I didn't know anything. I don't know anything about art. So I went around and I looked at all of his, his paintings and all of his murals and everything. And I picked out what was the biggest picture with the brightest color. And he laughed. He said, what makes you think that's the most expensive? I was like, well, it's big and it's bright. So it had to cost more. It has to be worth more because it's bigger. It has to be worth more because it's brighter color. And he laughed. And he closed one of his bedroom doors, and hidden behind one of his bedroom doors was a sheet of paper about this big that looked like there was a drawing done in pencil. It's called an etching. And he said, that right there is the most expensive piece of art I own. I said, really? That's the ugliest. He said, oh, you don't know what that is. He said, that's a one-off. That is an original Rembrandt etching. I said, well, I've heard of Rembrandt. What makes it so expensive? He said, somebody was giving Rembrandt different forms of paper and canvas to try out. And this was just him kind of doing an etching to see if he liked it. I said, well, how in the world did you get it? He said, some dumb kids in England, this is his quote, were auctioning off their family's estate. And those idiots didn't know what they had. 
He said, that piece of art is the piece of art I've paid the least amount of money to own. But it is the far most valuable piece of art I own in my home. Friends, I share that story with you because most of you are like that Rembrandt etching. You may look in the mirror and not see very much. But when God looks at you, do you know what he sees? He sees his crown handiwork. Because you are made in his image. And so as we explore this doctrine together today, the answer to this question of our identity crisis, the first thing I want us to explore today is the doctrine of creation, that you created in the image of God. As Burkhoff says, you are the crown of God's handiwork. You are his most prized creation. I want to explore for you together in our passage this morning the ways, the little subtleties that the Holy Spirit gives us in this passage that reinforces the fact that we are the crown of God's handiwork. Look at what God says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. It's so subtle you could easily miss it. Up until this point in creation, the words that God uses when he creates, as he says, in a very impersonal form, let there be. And so it happens. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be an expanse in the sky, and there would be. But now God uses this very personal form of let us make. No doubt a hint at the Trinity. That God is one God, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless... A subtlety highlighting the fact that what's getting ready to happen here in creation, when God creates a man, male and female, this is going to be special because God says, let us make, not just let there be. The second subtlety is this, let us make man in our image is what he says. If you take a look at all the other creations up to this point in the creation account, God creates things according to their kind. All the creeping things according to their kind. All the flying things according to their kind. All the beasts of the field according to their kind. All the fish that swarm together in the sea and swim together in the sea according to their kind. But now God says, let us make man in our image. In the Imago Dei, in the image of God. In other words, what makes us the crown of God's handiwork is the fact that we are distinguished from the rest of God's creation. They're all made according to their kind, but there's a sense in which we are created after the likeness of God, which is beautiful. It creates this point of contact between us and God. We're made after His image. And part of that image is that we're, we're rational beings, we're, we're intellectual beings, we're, we're moral beings, and we're beings that communicate. So God gave us ears so we could hear him. God gave us eyes so we could see the beauty of his creation. God gave us lips and a mouth so we could speak about his goodness and his qualities and his characters, characteristics and his attributes. 
And then the third subtlety is this, that it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Very interesting because we know that according to the beasts of the field and, and, and other things that God created, that there are male and female versions of those species. But for the first time in the creation account, God highlights the fact that he's making humanity male and female. That there's a complementary relationship between the husband and the wife, between a man and a woman. That is highlighting the fact that there's a sense in which God is unity and diversity even amongst himself. That there's one God, there's the unity, but there's diversity in that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons. And so part of what it means for us to be created in the image of God, I want the men and women to hear this, is that all of us share in that dignity. It isn't that man is the highlight of God's creation and woman is secondary. But no, men and women both are created in the image of God. Equal worth, equal value, equal dignity in the eyes of God when it comes to our intrinsic value. How I think the women of the church need to hear that today. That you're not second fiddle in the eyes of God. But you're the crown of God's handiwork. And how I think the men and women of the church need to hear that what God says in verse 31, and it says, and when God saw everything that he made, it was very good. Very significant that God is seeing you as his creation. And in the Hebrew it says you are tov ma'od. Say that with me. Say tov. Oh, that was pretty weak. Tov ma'od. That was weak too, but I'm still going to, okay. Tov ma'od, that you are very good. And then the last subtlety that highlights us as the crown of God's handiwork is the fact that he's given us dominion over everything. He says in verses 28 and following, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. We know that God is king, that he's the ruler of all creation. And so there's a sense in which we represent him and how we care for all of creation. And so friends, who are you? You are God's creation. That makes you special. Obviously, everything in the world was created by the power of God's spoken word, but God distinguishes you from the rest of his creation. You're special. And when he looks at you, he sees you as very, very good. Very good. One of the greatest needs in the world today, one of the greatest needs in the church today is for us to know who we are and what we are. We are created in the image of God. For another nerdy moment, if you'll give it to me, there are two aspects to this image of God. One aspect is a natural image that we have. The fact that we're intellectual beings, we're moral beings, we're... uh, 
We have responsibilities. That was not affected by the fall. How we respond to those responsibilities, how we, how we, how we interact with our, our reason was affected by the fall. But what was greatly affected by the fall was the spiritual aspect of the image of God, which Lloyd-Jones highlights. The fact that we were originally created with original moral perfection and righteousness. But at the, the fall, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, humanity as a whole lost that. Nevertheless, you're still the crown of God's handiwork. You need to admire yourself as a beauty of God's creation. Reminds me of a, of a story I heard about two men that visited the Grand Canyon. Uh, they were friends, and they made a long trek to see the Grand Canyon. And as they stood there on the edge of uh, the Grand Canyon, looking out and looking down, one of the men said, before today, I've never been more impressed by the beauty and the power of God's creation. The second guy nodded his head at his friend and looked over the edge of the Grand Canyon and spit. He looked at his friend and said, before today, I had never spit a mile in my life. I share that with you for this reason. Both of them encountered the beauty and the majesty of God's creation, but they both enjoyed a couple of different applications of that fact. One got to spit for a mile, the other one took in the beauty of God's creation. And so what I want to highlight now is the difference that this doctrine of being created in the image of God should make in your life? What kind of difference should this doctrine make in your life? There are probably more differences that it can make in your life, but I want to highlight uh, six differences that this doctrine of created in the image of God can make in your life, okay? So I just went Charles Stanley on you. You thought I only had two points today, and then the second point had six points? I know, I know. Suck it up, buttercup. New year. New year, new you, Right? Here's the first difference that this doctrine of creating the image of God should make in your life. You should understand that there's universal equality across all of God's creation in this sense. Every man and woman in the world is created in the image of God. Now that doesn't mean that we all have equal talents and abilities. Okay? For example, I can play Patrick Darty in ping pong and foosball, but he's better than me. Okay? But I, I could braid my hair if I wanted to, right? Eventually, maybe, maybe not. So there's no doubt that there are some times that we have different abilities and different gifts, but in the eyes of God, Although Tanner cannot beat Patrick Darty in ping pong or foosball or even kickball if I've got a team, in the eyes of God, we still are equal in our dignity and our worth. For those of you that are business owners, you need to be reminded of this fact in your company. That from the the highest of the heights in your company to the lowest of the lows, that those who, who, who rake the leaves and clean the toilets 
are not inferior to you, but in the eyes of God, they share the same dignity and worth that you have. And you need to treat them accordingly. When we've already hinted at the fact that this is significant in your understanding of your intrinsic value and worth because in the ancient Near East, women were considered property. They were considered second fiddle. They were considered inferior. But notice that according to the Christian faith and Christian doctrine, women are not considered so. Rather, men and women both are created in the image of God. They share the same value, the same dignity, the same worth in the eyes of the creator and the redeemer. That's significant. You need to know that. Women, you don't need a guy to complete you. You need Jesus. Guys, you don't need a woman to to perfect you, although she'll think she needs to. You need Jesus to make you perfectly righteous in his sight. And then as you're rooted in Christ, then you can seek to complement one another. And God will use you in your marriage relationship to help sanctify one another and to sand off some of the rough edges. That's the first difference this doctrine can make, is that you understand universal equality across the board. The second difference it makes is this, is that you have a unique design. You are uniquely designed by God. Did you know this about you, that that no one shares the same fingerprint that you have? No one shares the same DNA code that you have. For example, I'm five foot four on, on my good day. And I've been five foot four for a long time. Ironically, though, I never started getting mocked about my height until I started going to church. And I really didn't get start, start getting mocked about my height until I started working at a church on staff. Okay? But it's never offended me. It's, it's part of who God's made me. And I've learned over the years that I kind of have a little bit of an intense personality. Go, 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 right? And so I've learned over the years, I'm grateful to God that he made me five foot four. Because he made me six foot six, I probably would have gotten shot by now. Maybe even in an elders and deacons meeting, right? Like if I just stood up and that intense personality that I have, they'd be like, okay, 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 put the bear down. But no, I'm I'm unique. Okay, so I've enjoyed learning the history of Bartow ARP Church. I've enjoyed learning about Dr. Ball. I've enjoyed learning about Rob Patrick. I've enjoyed learning about uh, Grady Oates. And I praise God and I thank God for them. And And early on, it was obvious some of you thought I needed to fit into their mold. And here's the reality. I knew day one I showed up at Bartow ARP Church. I knew I wasn't Grady Oates, John Ball, or Rob Patrick. And here's the thing. I wasn't going to try to be. New day, new chapter, new pastor. My goal is not to be Grady Oates. My goal is not to be Dr. Ball. My goal is not to be Rob Patrick. My goal is to be the most sanctified version of Tanner Klein I can be. Because at the, at the, the expense of potentially sounding arrogant, there are going to be some things that I can do. None of, that men, none of those men could have done. 
Not because I'm better, but because I'm uniquely designed. And the same is true for me, and the same is true for you. There are things you can do that no one else can do because God uniquely designed you to be the way you are. Third difference this doctrine makes in your life is how we view the unborn. The prophet Jeremiah was called by God within his mother's womb. John the Baptist was called to ministry in his mother's womb. Uh, The Psalm of David in Psalm 139 says, For you knit me together in my mother's womb, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This doctrine being created in the image of God means that every child is precious in God's sight. And every child that is conceived is the creation of God. And it's to be treated with the same dignity, worth, and value as a baby sitting, crying, gooing, or even screaming among us. And how the church needs to understand that babies are not about being a convenience or an inconvenience. They're a creation of God. They're precious in God's sight. The fourth difference this doctrine makes is how we view the unsaved. I had one of my friends from high school visit me over New Year's. We've been friends since sixth grade, 30 years. Man, he's lost as a goose. We have more frank spiritual conversations than I have with some of you. He does not know Jesus, he does not love Jesus, and he doesn't care to at this point. So why am I still friends with him? Because he's created in the image of God. I love him. I trust him with the keys to my house. I trust him with my bank account. In fact, he, the way he's investing money, he'd probably do better with it than I could. But the way I relate to the unsaved is I love them and care for them. Why? They're created in the image of God. And how I think the church needs to rediscover this doctrine of creation, being created in the image of God, because sometimes we we view the unsaved as like a saber-toothed tiger or some horrible ogre. They're lost people. They're spiritually dead people. They need to come to spiritual life through Christ. The fifth difference this doctrine makes is how we treat those that are, how you're going to treat people that are unlike you. It's very significant. We love people that are different from us. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves, regardless of whether or not they're like us or not. Okay? For example, Van Halen was better with David Lee Roth rather than Sammy Hagar. But if you think they were, I'm still going to love you. If you have a different religion than me, I'm still going to love you. Why? Because you're creating the image of God. Not 
Don't get me wrong, I'm still going to say if you don't accept Jesus, you're dying and going to hell. I'm not going to bend on that truth whatsoever. But I'm still going to relate to you in a loving way. Why? Because you're created in the image of God. This is why Republicans, Democrats, and Independents should be able to have a somewhat civil conversation, particularly in the church. It's because we love people that are unlike us because we know at the end of the day, they're still God's crown handiwork. They're still created in the image of God of God. That's why we should love people that are a different different ethnicity than us, different socioeconomic status than us. They're created in the image of God. Even if they have different talents and interests than us, they're created in the image of God. And let me say this, for those of you that are in middle school or high school, this doctrine being created in the image of God should significantly impact how you view those that, I don't know what the political correct term is now these days, but how those students that are considered special needs are. They're not inferior at all. In God's eyes, they are as equally valuable as you are. One of my biggest regrets from high school is I wish I could go back to high school and ask a girl out to the spring formal dance. Her name was Kim. K-I-M. Kim was one of the special needs girls in our high school. And every day as I walked to first period class and exited first period class, Kim with special needs, and she would be sitting there in the cafeteria. And every time I walked by her, she would go, hot, hot. By the way, the only girl in high school that thought so. (laughs) Man, if I could go back, if I could relive high school one more time. As a Christian young man, and I was a Christian young man, but I just didn't see the opportunity there to go talk to Kim's parents and ask them if I could take her to the spring formal dance. So I could let all of my friends know that Kim was as equally valuable in God's eyes than any of us were. That in God's eyes, she had the same dignity and intrinsic worth as we did although she was in a totally different class than us because she's created in the image of God how I wish I could go back how I wish the final difference this doctrine makes is how we view those who engage in what the Bible calls unnatural relations. Now hear me clear on this. The Bible is absolutely solid, strong line on homosexuality. That lifestyle is a sin. The Bible doesn't bend. The Bible doesn't break on it any way, shape, or form. Okay? If you don't like it, you can, not like me, but take it up with God. Romans chapter 1. It's unnatural relations. 
But here's what I think the church needs to hear is how we relate to those that are homosexuals in our families and in our community. We don't condone their behavior, but we love them. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We don't get to pick our neighbors. Ask some people in Bougainville away. They're crying. The Kleins just moved in. They've got that dumb dog that barks all the time. They didn't get to pick. Okay? The mortgage company helped them pick, but they didn't get to pick. In the same way, for many of us, we have dear friends. Some of us have family members. Some of us have co-workers that are homosexuals, practicing homosexuals. We don't condone their behavior. We don't condone their lifestyle. But I think the church needs to hear this. Yet we're still to love them. I'll never forget, Jennifer and I were in Asheville at the time, and we had a a big vision casting ceremony for our church that we were pastoring at the time. And there's a guy who was, uh, he was kind of the caricature of homosexuals. I mean, kind of the worst case scenario of not not just being in a long-term relationship, but with just all over the place immorally. Uh, and he would anger Jennifer. He would kind of run up to her while she was running the register there at JCPenney's. And he would say, well, I don't believe in God as creator and all these things. And I don't think Jesus rose from the dead. And before she could respond, he would walk away. Just infuriated Jennifer. But we invited him to this, to this, to this banquet for our church. And we gave out gift bags to everybody at the church. Everybody that came to the banquet, rather. And I'll never forget what he did at the end of the banquet. He came up to me and Jennifer as he held the Bible that was in his gift that we had put in each one of the gifts. And it was a paperback Bible that honestly at the time cost $3.50. And as he cradled that Bible in his arms, he looked at me and Jennifer and he said, Is this a gift for me? Do I get to keep this? It was around Christmas time, and Jennifer and I said, yeah, it was in your gift bag. He said, this is the first Christmas gift I've been given in 20 years. And he teared up, and he walked out the door. That day, Jennifer and I determined We're going to love the homosexuals that God brings into our lives. We're not condoning their behavior. We're going to love them because some of their own family members have turned their back on them. Who are you? You are God's creation. That's who you are. Don't ever forget it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that teaches us. That gives us deep, delicious meat to chew on. That teaches us who you are and who we are. 
in relationship to you. Father, please forgive us for hating ourselves. Because we're tall or we're short or we're we're too skinny or we're too chubby. That we can sing or can't sing. That we can play an instrument that we can't. That we can draw that we can't. Lord, you've uniquely designed each and every single one of us. And help us to celebrate the fact that you're our creator. And help us to appreciate how you've created us in your image. May that truth affect how we relate to one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people agreed saying, amen. If you will, let's stand with me and sing verses 1 and 4, the Lord's mercy.